When you started First Corinthians, tell me, give me two reasons, or I'll let you pick the number of reasons. Why were you drawn to preach First Corinthians? Ooh. Um, I, I liked First Corinthians um, for two especially really big reasons. The first is I love how infinitely practical it is. Huh. Like Paul's, Paul's addressing of various subjects are just like, Bam, 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 bam. Like it's it's not a it's not a book that's hard to apply. Okay. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's fairly straightforward what it's talking about, you know, as you address leadership and as you address morality and as you address these divisions over fights and rights and all that all of that sort of thing and, and the divisions over the, the gatherings, you know, and how do we take communion and like it's such a practical book. And I love the nature of it in that respect. Uh, the other aspect that really played into it for me, um, was was the whole church emphasis on it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, one of the things that that was a challenge coming out of COVID, um, aside from all of the other challenges, was I think for a lot of people it caused them to question and go back to like, what do I fundamentally believe about the church? Yeah, what is the church? What makes up a church? Why is the church valuable? Is the church valuable? You mm-hmm. know, I mean, some of these questions saying, can I can I stay home and watch church online? Should I stay home and watch church online? Is is the content important or is the community important? You know, who is the church made up of? How do I get along with people who I don't agree with in the church? And yeah. so many practical questions like that, that 1 Corinthians really speaks to what we call ecclesiology, the doctrine, the teaching in the New Testament of the church. What is the church called to be? What is she supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to respond to Christ? How are we supposed to respond to each other? And I just felt like what I was seeing a lot in in bigger circles, but even here at Faith Bible Church, was people wrestling with that question. Yeah, um, I think you're right. I think COVID really made people have to decide or and expose what pe- what people's ecclesiology yes. was of church. Yes, and, and I mean that was really Sunday. That was what was driving that whole idea. Like what you believe the function of the church is mm-hmm. will dictate the form it takes. Yeah. So if you don't believe that the church is fundamentally a people, a group of people gathered to worship God together, then there's nothing wrong with watching a right. church service online and only consuming of the content because mm-hmm. it's good content hopefully mm-hmm. and you know I mean obviously we want our services to be edifying and mm-hmm. encouraging and those sort of things regardless of who tunes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you believe the church is is that then there's no issue so right. with that form. But if you believe functionally the church is a people, it's a group of people committed to each other, gathered to worship the Lord, engaged in the mission, mm-hmm. pursuing that together corporately, um, then the form will follow that and the, the church must gather together. We have to get around the dining room table, as we right. talked about on Sunday, right. you know, yeah. um, in the same face way that face. like what you believe about your marriage, what you believe about your family will dictate the form it takes. Yeah. Like if, if you think... And the a, order of priority it takes. Yeah, yeah. How, in, how important it is in your life and what you do when you're together and if you get together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If it's just... If your marriage is just basically about an intellectual exercise, mm-hmm. then you might as well just be pen pals. That's right. You know? And it's those sort of questions that I think First Corinthians deals with so practically and hopefully we've addressed pretty frankly as we've walked through it together. So was that your hope? Was that your prayer coming out of this? Was that those of us in the body would be challenged to look at ourselves and look at our ecclesiology of church and how we interact with our brothers and sisters? What was what was your prayer going into First Corinthians? 
you know, it was really it was really the the twofold impact of those those two questions. It's Paul addresses how does the gospel interact with the practical concerns of my Christian life, mm-hmm. with my sin and with other people and with the gatherings and things like that, and how does the gospel inform what the church is called to be? So that really is my prayer that people would 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 take what we've seen and see how the gospel defines defines our relationship with Christ and the way we operate in all of our lives, and it defines who the church is and what the church is supposed to be about. Yeah. Um, because I think that's really Paul's lens as mm-hmm. he writes this book. Is he's wanting them to understand, like, your relationships in your church are not defined by gospel truth. You're claiming gospel truth privately, and you're intellectually submitting to that, mm-hmm. but you are not practically living that out in your day-in and day-out lives and in your church when you gather together. Well, and if... I was listening, if we were listening, sitting out there, we were heavily challenged to take look at our inner inner self and our interaction and what you just said. Like, mm-hmm. how, how am I contributing to the body on Sunday and how am I putting aside differences with yeah. my brothers and sisters? So when you were studying 1 Corinthians, I was curious, I was thinking about this. Was there anything, so you went over what you were hoping to achieve or go through yeah. in First Corinthians. Was there anything along the way that surprised you about oh, the book? About... That's a really good question that I hadn't really considered very much. And you can come back to it. If something sparks you, you can come back to it. Yeah, I might have to come back to that question. I don't that. think I, thought, I have a good okay. answer. You know, we read verses over and over, and they say, just when you think you've learned it, read it again, and you see yeah. something new. So think about that. Was there anything in Corinthians that surprised you? Yeah, I'll have to come back to that. Okay, sounds good. Well, do you want to do a quick overcap of just some of the highlights from the book? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's walk through it a bit okay. and, and hopefully see the sights here just a bit. Yeah. The thirty thousand foot flyover right. of First Corinthians. That's right. I have my notes. I actually remembered my notes today. There you go. We're going to be flipping all over. Hopefully, the listeners will ignore our page turns. Yeah. Well, the the message of First Corinthians, like I said, is really this idea of they they need to see all of life and all of church engagement through the mm-hmm. lens of the gospel. And Paul really kicks that off with a bang when he starts off the book. Um, just with his his salutation at the beginning, his thanksgiving for them. And I'm just so struck by, like, Paul knows he's going to be writing this letter, and he's going to say a lot of really hard things. Yeah. You know, it's not like he's just writing this extemporaneously. Like, he's right. heard these reports. He knows he's going to address these questions that they've asked him about, and he's going to address these issues that he's heard a report about. And yet, in spite of all of that, he starts off with this incredible thanksgiving at the beginning, just saying how much he appreciates and is thankful for this church and the work that God has done in them. And so that's where we really kicked off the book, and we talked about this, this need to view the church through Christ's love, that Paul views the Corinthian church defined by the love of Christ in spite of how broken they are, in spite of how fractured they are. And then, and then he goes right into it. He goes, okay, well, here we go. we got to address some issues. And verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And that really begins to flesh out everything else he addresses, you know? So he goes, okay, well, what are the symptoms? What are the, what are the flashpoints that we see throughout this book? And, and the first few chapters are really all about the divisions over leadership. You know, you've got different people saying, I want to follow different leaders because they're dynamic speakers or because they're smart theologians or because they're whatever the case might be, because they're the type of leader, they're the type of pastor they tickle I want. the ear right yeah, they, ex- they, yeah, they exactly. say what you want them to say yeah they've got a big gathering behind right. them right and so they're divided thinking that somehow 
I'm better because I follow Cephas instead of Paul, or I'm better because I follow, you know, Apollos rather than Cephas. And then, you know, the really highfalutin ones, well, we just follow Christ, you know, we're just, you know, which is probably where us evangelicals would have a tendency to land ourselves if we were to say that, well, we just follow Christ, you know, like we're... We don't know what you guys are doing. Exactly. You're all off on some crazy, but, you know, you know, and so this idea, and so he just reminds them, look, it's, it's not about who is in the pulpit. It's not about... Who is in charge around mm-hmm. here? It's not about aligning yourself behind these cliques. It's, in fact, like we we preach foolishly. Is his point? Like mm-hmm. God has chosen. And Second Corinthians is going to say God has put this treasure in jars of clay. Yeah, you know, is going to say God has chosen to put this incredible reality of the gospel in fallen, failing men, and yet He reveals His power through the weakness of those men, and the gospel still, still having an impact. You know, and so he criticizes their their arrogance and like this, you know, it's like, has, has God chosen the strong things of the world or the weak things of the world? You know, I love, I love verse 26 in chapter one, for consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. <laughs> Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame what is wise. God so chose they, what is weak in the world to shame what is strong. Like Basically, he's like, listen, you're a nobody. Yes. With nothing. Yes. And yet God. Which would be arrogant on Paul's part, except he says, oh, oh and by the way, I'm a nobody too. Right. Oh, by the way, I, <laughs> like, I'm not just saying that. I join you. Yes. Yeah. Like, we're, we're all nobodies. Like God I like how he leveled the playing field. Right? Yes. Like I've said that before, we all stand one at the cross. We're all the same at the cross. That's just it. We all come with nothing to give. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes very apparent. He's like, so these leaders of yours, they're gifts from God. You know, they're not some incredible, dyn- I mean, some may be better speakers than others and things like that, but it's like, it's not about the man. It's not about the yeah. messenger. It's about the message. It's about the gospel having the power. And you would see that chapter two, if, if you were submitting to spiritual wisdom, mm-hmm. it's like, but unfortunately you're fleshly. You're not spiritual. You're not yep. seeing these things for what they are. And then in chapter three, he really gives them the cure for their conceit. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he yeah. says, you need to grow up into real maturity. You need to own yep. your role in the church and you need to look to your provider. God is the one who supplied all of these things. You don't get any credit for it. Apollos doesn't get credit. Paul doesn't get credit. Cephas doesn't get credit. Nobody gets credit. Only God gets the credit. We're just fallen men, instruments in God's hand. We are all fallen people. Mm-hmm. And, and so then it's not surprising that as he gets into chapter, chapter four, he really talks about what is Christian leadership really about? What, what is the point? What are, we, what are we seeking to do? You know, for the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but in power, right? Like what, what is it that leadership is all about? What is it that this is meant to do? It's meant to cause unity, not division, you know, the different gifts that God has given. He's going to get into that in the church later in chapter 12. Um, but anyway, so this whole first section is really just focused on yeah. that idea of you're not to be divided over your leadership. That's not the point. Well, and in, I think it was January. You kind of did a where, where have we been? We, I think you covered chapters 1 through 10. You kind of gave yeah, us basically, a, basically. Uh, a recap of that. And I'm looking over my notes from that. And um, what you just spoke to, that that putting putting yourself aside but also – not tolerating sin in the church, but yeah. pursuing, pursuing brotherly love. And then um, what really spoke to me is this focusing on personal rights. Mm-hmm. You covered this a lot in the beginning because I think, <laughs> I think I know <laughs> we can tend to, well, this is, this, this is where I'm drawing the stake into the ground. And yeah. this is what I think. And just pointing us back to what does mm-hmm. the scripture say? about leaders, about appointed leaders, but then ultimately, how was Christ calling you to live? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, the the heart, the the middle section of the book deals with kind of their their entrapped sins. There's mm-hmm. like, you know, I've got. Uh, we're celebrating sexual immorality in the church mm-hmm. and we're celebrating lawsuits against each other. Mm-hmm. And all of this we're painting with a thing of grace saying mm-hmm. it's fine. And that's a defensive. That's like, I'm fine the way I am. Right. You know, I just am who I am and everybody needs to put up with me. Yep. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. In the church, we call out sin. Mm-hmm. We call a spade a spade. We, we call it out for what it is. And then that informs then the way we view our rights and freedoms in chapters 8 through 10, mm-hmm. which is what you're speaking to. It's yeah. like they were going... Not only are my sins sacred and mm-hmm. above anybody calling them out, mm-hmm. but my preferences are sacred right. and above anybody and calling them out. you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, you can't tell yeah. me what to do. And I'm going to eat meat if I want to eat meat. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what have what effect it has on anybody else. Right. And I just like the, the line that really stuck with me from there was the one line I quoted from John MacArthur on that is like, love limits liberty. Mm-hmm. Love by definition constrains itself for the good of those it cares about. Yeah. Like... I, I mean, this is this is the case all the time. We see this all over the place in our lives, but especially at home. You know, I'm like, there are so many things that I do not do, that I cannot do, that I cannot participate in because I have four little children at home. Right. You know, when I had mm-hmm. kids, I made the decision to limit the freedom and liberty of my life, mm-hmm. not to spend my money on just what I wanted, mm-hmm. not to spend my time on just what I wanted, yep. not to not to be focused on just what Jenna and I wanted. That's right. But we said, we're going to have kids. And part of that is limiting my liberty. Mm-hmm. You know, as a 33-year-old guy in Lincoln, Nebraska, do I have the right to go out and play golf on Friday nights? Well, yeah, I do. Yep. You know, do I have the right to stay up later? And, mm-hmm. you know, do I have the right to? Well, yeah, all of those things are mm-hmm. true. And yet I don't do those things right. because I have children. And because and it I does care not about better them. their lives by you doing what you want to do. Exactly. So yeah. love by its nature limits its liberty. And we mm-hmm. see that so well exemplified in the person and work of Christ, right? Christ, though, though he he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, yep. he came to earth to die for us, right? Like God exemplified this, I love you so much mm-hmm. that I am not going to defend, I'm not going to hold on to the glory that I rightly deserve, the freedom yep. that I rightly deserve. And... And that's where that's where he's saying, like, let's bring the gospel to bear on this issue. You're fighting over this meat. Yeah. What difference does the meat make, guys? Yeah. You know, I could just hear Paul Paul basically saying that. He's like, you're to be doing everything you do for the glory of God and for the good of others. Mm-hmm. And and when you make it all about you, when you make it all about your exercise of what you feel you have the right to, right. you are totally denying the gospel of Jesus right. Christ. And like that, that is, that should be convicting to all of us. Yeah. You know, that, that really should be convicting. And again, we, you know, we talked about alcohol and we talked about some of the practical things that this historically has worked its way out and, and the weaker brother, Mm -hmm. you know, and all of those sort of things in those, through those chapters and and trying to figure out what that looks like. And, and obviously people can go back and find any of those messages online if they want to listen Mm -hmm. back through them. But that especially, like, is my lens, is my paradigm for viewing the church and for viewing my brothers and sisters is what right can I lay down for their edification? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and, and again, here we are right back to the, the same old, same old, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Like, this is, this is the <laughs> law of Christ, you know, as Paul will say in Galatians. Yep. This, is, this is what defines our behavior, our love for God and our love for others. So... Checkbox number one, is it glorifying to God? If it's not glorifying to God, you ought not be considering it. 
But assuming it's glorifying mm-hmm. to God, and you can eat meat or not eat meat to the glory of God, mm-hmm. either way. Right. But then is it edifying to your brothers? Right. Okay. That makes the decision fairly clear. Yes. And, and you <laughs> like, may not want to make that decision, but that I think that's what Paul kept saying is do it anyway. <laughs> we don't. We, we so naturally. Man, we yeah. are. Um, I was listening to a, a sermon recently on Romans 13 by Vadi Bakum, hmm. and I loved what he was saying. He was just addressing this idea of our rebellion mm-hmm. against authority. It's like we hate authority. Yeah. We hate anything that would constrain our privileges, our and rights, and I don't think anyone's exempt from that. I What's think that? we. I don't think anyone's exempt from that. I no. think we all rebel against authority in our own ways. Yes. Yes. I mean, that was fundamentally what happened in Genesis 3. That's mm-hmm. what Adam and Eve did. They mm-hmm. said, God, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Let me do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I'll okay. be fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm going to be good on my own. Don't need you. I'm just fine. Suddenly they weren't fine. <laughs> exactly. And it's weird. Like we, we all have a tendency to do that. Yeah. And we have a, have a tendency to just, we just white knuckle it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about, it's about me and what I want. And, mm-hmm. and what he said in the message that I thought was so pungent or so poignant was, we are the worst of the worst. Yeah. Like we live in the freest nation in the world, and yet we are the most consumed with yeah. making sure that we have it's the true. right to do whatever we want. It's and like I was we talking will about on Sunday. Hold that line. Yes, I have the right to <laughs> define how many hours a week I'm going to work. I have the right to define who my sexual partner is going to be. Right. I have the right to define what's right and wrong. I have mm-hmm. the right to go where I want, mm-hmm. to do what I want, to say mm-hmm. what I want, to be what I want, to whatever I want. Right. I'm the god of the universe. And I get to dictate all of those things. And our culture is just, we're just filled with that and we're just consumed by that. And we're downstream of the Corinthians, like yeah. the Roman culture. That, yeah. that's, that's kind of our heritage, you know, of freedom yeah. and liberty and the philosophers. And that's right. That's who we are. We're the, we're the product. Yeah, we mm-hmm. are the product of that and we are the product. It's, I read something recently and it basically said, like, the, the product, the sinful trajectory of a, a union conceived in liberty, as, you know, as Abraham Lincoln would put it. Um, without the moorings of biblical truth hmm. is exactly what we have today. Unfettered, do whatever you want, be whoever you want. Mm-hmm. That is the trajectory, mm-hmm. the sinful trajectory of a nation conceived with the basis of freedom without limiting that freedom by the word of God. Because mm-hmm. that's our morality. That's our compass. Yes. When your ultimate truth is freedom, mm-hmm. then you are free to defy God's law. You are free to hurt each other. You are free mm-hmm. to do whatever you want, live however you want. And when that becomes the championing cry that defines your life, mm-hmm. you get exactly what we had in, in 1 Corinthians. Mm-hmm. And Paul looks at the church and he says, you can't act that way. You are called to yeah. something different because yeah. Christ didn't act that way. Mm-hmm. And so you are called to lay down your liberty mm-hmm. and to define what you do by what is good for those around you. And I think those that was are the not always easy line decisions. Of one through ten. Yes, that's exactly it. That is precisely it. So we, so we, we mortify sin not just because it's bad for us, but also mm-hmm. because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, because it's also bad for our brothers and sisters that's around right. us. Right. And we limit our behavior, not because it's necessarily what we want to do, mm-hmm. because, oh, by the way, it's actually what's good for those around us. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's on about in the whole next section. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows the chapters about, about communion because mm-hmm. we read that in First Corinthians chapter 11 all the time. We read about spiritual gifts in 14 mm-hmm. and 12. Um, and, and recognizing that, like, all of those are calls to limit our liberty for the sake of love. That's right. 
right? Don't just, I know it's your food. You know, right. you're bringing it to communion. You're bringing it to the Lord's right. table. It's your right. food. You can eat it in your own home if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But when you come together as a church, mm-hmm. stop stop being drunk and gluttonous stop while the, the, the poor people that's go right. without eating. That's right. You know, and, and yeah. he says the same thing to men and women. Stop championing mm-hmm. your own rights and making yeah. it all about you. Recognize God's plan for the church and what he's called men and women to do in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, chapter 12, spiritual gifts. Stop making it all about your ecstatic experience and your right. gift. Right. It's about edifying and building building up the church. Right. right. And that's why chapter 13 is so critical. Mm-hmm. It's so critical to understand in this book because he's saying this is what real love is. Mm-hmm. Right? Real love does not seek its own. So it's not selfish about what it wants and it's not selfish about not saying hard things because that would be uncomfortable. Okay? Right. So love actually does what is necessary for the other person. What they mm-hmm. they care more about the other person than they care about what the other person thinks of them. Like you think about that with your kids in chapter 13, and it's so critical for me. And I think we talked about this last week, even on the podcast, but like telling my kids, I love them too much to only do what they want me to do. Like, because a three-year-old should not be in charge of a three-year-old. Right. Like, that's not the way the world should work. No. You know? (laughs) And so love is defined by saying, I am going to do what's best for you, even if you don't like me for it. And that's critical for us to understand. And then he goes on in prophecy and tongues and he speaks to some of that. And he says, like, this is why this is so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, I want to prophesy or I want to speak in tongues or I want to do all this. I, I, I. It's but like, stop the, it. <laughs> yeah. And the thing that's, the, I think I call it my spirit, the spiritual gift sandwich that Paul created yeah, right there. Yeah, and then yeah through, I like that. That was good. Yeah. love right in the middle. That. But when we were talking about spiritual gifts, one thing in that section that stuck out to me was you had said, if, if the gospel is not easily understood in all of that, what is the purpose? Yes. And I thought that was a good take on that because if that's going on and an outsider walked into your church and they have no clue what is going on or understanding what's happening, how is that edifying the gospel? Yes. And, and if you put that lens through everything we've talked about through the whole book, mm-hmm. right? If somebody, if an unbeliever walks into your church and they go, well, these people come together when this person's preaching, but they don't come together when this person's preaching, are they going to think it's about the man or are they going to think it's about the gospel? That's right. They're going to think about the person, yep. right? They come through and they say, well, these people don't really worry about sin in their lives. They don't mm-hmm. really worry about mortifying that. Everything's just, everything's okay to do. Well, are they going to think that the gospel is chief in your life? And following God, or are they going to think that your own pleasures and your own passions and your, and your comfortability own and what you want to see? And yeah, hear. that's what you're all about, right? Mm-hmm. When they, if they come in and they see some people eating and other people getting offended by it, are they going to think it's all about you, or are they going to think it's all about mm-hmm. each other and about the gospel of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ? Right? If you're all yeah. exercising these incredible spiritual gifts and you're all having your own little high moments all over the church, are they going to think it's about the gospel, or are they going to think it's about you? Right. That's his whole point through the whole book. And there's something. And I, I don't remember where I saw this, if I heard it or read it, that said, you know, sometimes we can we can listen to the musical side of worship and go, well, I just didn't like that song. Yeah. That's okay. We weren't worshiping you. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the bottom line. Yes. It's not. It's for his glory, not our own. And that's where we get frustrated. That's where we get angry. It's, yep. when, it's when our gods get challenged. That's right. Like the – it's easy to see kind of in the public sphere, right? Mm-hmm. Like politics and society is a war of gods, right, where you see – Gods are on their thrones. Everybody's got a god. The secularist has a god. It's just right. that it's themselves, mm-hmm. right? There's a war of gods, and it's a war to see who's going to win, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's essentially what it is, and that's that's a realistic perspective on it. In our own hearts, it's a war of gods. Mm-hmm. Who is going to win the war for, to be the god of your heart? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be an idol? Is it going to be someone else? Is it going to be God? Mm-hmm. Like who is supposed to be on the throne? Mm. Yeah. And the way we respond to these sort of situations, the way we respond in the church reveals what God is on on the throne of our heart. 
And then I should just say, and then like 15 is is so incredible. Like chapter 15 is just fabulous, talking about mm-hmm. the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. Um, and this reminder. And and part of the reason, it feels out of place because we're going, the rest of this book hasn't been very much theology. It's been just practical living mm-hmm. out the light, you know, living in light of the gospel. Then it gets to 15 and it almost feels out of place, but I really don't think it is. In, in our modern Seems like a moment, refocus. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. We get so focused on the here and the now, mm-hmm. on the me and my desires and my wants, that we're not willing to sacrifice for the sake of eternity. And I just, I think that's even more true of our culture than it probably mm-hmm. was even of the church in Corinth, where a little bit of perspective goes a long way. Like it's the thing that's right in front of us just consumes us. And we're so concerned. I mean, th- t- think about it this way. I just, I was listening to something recently and they were talking about the doctrine of hell and how we don't often bring up the doctrine of hell. We, we talk somewhat liberally about the doctrine of heaven, but we very rarely talk about the doctrine of hell. But if you go into a Christian bookstore, how many of the books you're reading will have a mention of anything after death, heaven or hell, in proportion to how many of the books you're reading will be consumed with what is today? That's now, right. Paul is addressing practical living issues. It's not that we shouldn't live holy lives today. That's absolutely critical. But one of the fundamental things, love, is about that. But also, eternity defines how we live today. And we are so consumed with, with today, so we forget about eternity. And an eternal perspective will change the way you live today. Like this reminder, I, it's, it feels really strange to us, mm-hmm. you know, as we read chapter 15, because we're like, hold on. He grounds morals and ethics today in the fact that we will have a new body someday. Mm-hmm. And that feels really strange. We're like, well, mm-hmm. it's a new body. What difference does it make? Right. It's a whole different experience, right. a whole different. And essentially, that's what the Gnostics were teaching, right? Your right. body is just all going to go away. Yep. So it doesn't matter what you do with it today because yep. God's going to make it all work Live you know, up. in yep. eternity. And. And we are like that in the 21st century church in America, where we're like, I'm so concerned with what's happening today that I don't pause and meditate on eternity. Mm-hmm. Like this, and eternity has an incredible grounding effect for us as believers. This like, I mean, think about how it changes your perspective when you're like, I am going to someday spend all of eternity with Christ and with these other believers that I'm with in my church. and. Every person that I see that is heading for an eternity in hell is going to spend an eternity in conscious torment apart from the presence of Christ, being judged by the wrath of God for eternity. Like, I mean, that, that's the sort of gravity he's trying to get them to grasp mm-hmm. in 1 Corinthians 15. And we, we're just like, well, what's happening tomorrow? You know, right. what game's on this weekend? Yep. You know, and we're so consumed with today that we don't ponder the significance and the wonder of eternity. And so part of the reason he's trying to get them to take, to look toward eternity is because he's trying to get their eyes off of today. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get them to stop being so consumed mm-hmm. with what's right in front of them mm-hmm. and to start looking forward to what really matters one day. First Corinthians 15 was just a breath of fresh air. I mean, mm-hmm. it just it got me so excited just from a, a temporal standpoint and the physical mental ailments of this side of heaven yeah. and that unrealized reality yet, because there's no way we can fathom it. Yeah. And um, one of the other things I made note of in First Corinthians 15 as we talk a lot about Christ, which we need to, he's yep. our, he's our, he's our hope, but the end game is to restore it back to the father. Mm. And I, and I 
was taken aback a little bit because I think we can get very, I don't know how to say this. It's intriguing in this book. We we can be very, we can be almost, um, what's the right word for it? Um we can almost flatten out the doctrine of the Trinity very easily. Thank you. In that our is what I'm. Theology. That's what I'm trying to say. Is I'm not lessening Christ by any means, because through yeah. Him, by Him. Yeah. But yeah, we we forget the Father yeah. a lot. It's it's intriguing, and and both the Father's role and the Spirit's role mm-hmm. are heavily highlighted mm-hmm. in this book of First Corinthians. And there's, I mean, there is an explicitly Trinitarian theology that clearly undergirds mm-hmm. Paul writing. I mean, even even back to the point in chapter eleven when he grounds the role in the family and the church mm-hmm. in this relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Like there, it's it's so explicitly Trinitarian, mm-hmm. and we can tend to be a little. A little flat yeah, in our approach. I like how in that you respect. put that because Christ is the one who came to put it all back. Yeah. So that, that's that. There's no undermining that. But no. in Revelation, we are pointing back to the Father, that yeah. God may be all in all. Yeah, it's it's true, and 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 throughout all of eternity, right? You know, it, throughout all of eternity, God, one in essence, three in persons, will be worshipped rightly. Mm-hmm. You know, and like mm-hmm. uh, we struggle with that today because we don't understand it today. And I don't know that it's something that, you know, sometimes we talk as if like in heaven, all of a sudden we'll have this perfect knowledge of things. We'll still be finite. Like we won't be God in heaven. That's right. <laughs> like, we'll still be, we won't have perfect knowledge, but we'll we'll get to spend eternity understanding more and more about the way that works. Mm-hmm. And the Trinity will never be something that we'll fully understand. And that is absolutely astounding, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and yet we must be explicitly Trinitarian. We must be explicitly recognizing that doctrine. Yeah, in we what can't we, say we can't do. separate. I yeah. mean we can't throw one out without the other. That's just it. There yeah. Yeah, it's a good encouragement. Fifteen was great. Final chapter sixteen. Yeah, I think it was one of those things that it shocked people a little bit a little bit because by the time you start wrapping up the book, everybody presumes it's basically over. You know, it's kinda <laughs> like it's you hit chapter sixteen oh, and everybody's like, wait. Oh he's closed his Bible, <laughs> we're right. done. Well, how are we gonna spend <laughs> two more weeks preaching on this? <laughs> You know, sort of thing, That's but right. I, I, I thought there was so much good content in, in both both sections that we covered in Chapter 16. I mean, the practical exhortations on giving, I, I, I find that's really critical. We mm-hmm. we get squeamish around money, we you do. know. It's it's funny that in the most affluent country, probably in the history of mankind, we're squeamish about money, <laughs> right? That's like, right. this should not be weird. You know, like talk, right. but the Bible talks about money all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's saying, like, it, it's... Because we don't want to be legalists. We don't want to make it about prescriptions and laws and things like that. But mm-hmm. it's very clear what you do with your money indicate where your heart is at. Mm-hmm. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's Paul's point. He's like, okay, well, you've said, like, we love our brothers in Jerusalem and we've overcome these Jew-Gentile differences. And you're saying all the right things. Now put your money where your mouth is. That's right. Like, yeah. it's going to hit you in the pocketbook. Like, you got to actually... So Paul's not some, like, it's easy to talk in kind of principles. That's like, right. there's these lofty principles that we should all, right. and we find a way that all of us are obedient to them, right? You know, where we're like, none of us is defying that. And he's like, well, but yeah, like, let's look at what you've actually done with your money. And the minute you start talking that way, people are like, oh, no, you can't talk about that sort of thing. That's legalistic. And no, Paul's like, nope, it's just practical. Yep. It's just you do what you say, and you say what you do. And, you know, I mean, like, that's... That's true for us as well. So I thought that was really, really good. This this practical idea of when you when you entertain these traveling ministers, how do you treat them? You know, that speaks to 
a lot to whether or not you've embraced what I'm preaching, you know, what 1 Corinthians is all about, how you mm-hmm. respond to these people, how you respond to brothers and sisters in your church, how you greet and welcome each other. You know, it's like if you can't greet one another with a holy kiss, if you can't welcome and greet each other, there's probably a fundamental issue yeah. going on here. Um, if you turn and go down the other hallway. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's it's one of those things where, okay, let's call a spade a spade again. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just like, is the gospel actually impacting what you're doing mm-hmm. in your life? Um, and then his closing words, you know, I thought it's it's weird because we don't, again, we don't like to think about that, right? If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Yeah. It's like, oh boy, Paul. Yeah. Right? Like, and that's the way he ends. Mm-hmm. But he also ends with the grace of the Lord be with you and my love yeah. be with you in Christ Jesus. Yeah, so, you broke it down. Paul's final warning, hope, and blessing. Yes. He makes sure. Yeah, I and I just I loved the end like that that comment I made I did not I did not anticipate that going into First Corinthians I didn't realize that was the case that Paul has this grace blessing that he offers at the end of every letter mm-hmm. but he offers this special affection for this church where he's like it's the only letter that he writes personally to them and says my love be with you all in Christ Jesus he wanted them to understand that his rebuke and correction of them was loving even if they didn't hear it that way. Mm-hmm. Even if they weren't willing to receive it, because again, you know, remember back in or early in sixteen, he's worried about how they're going to treat Timothy mm-hmm. because of the way he's talked to them. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Don't take it out on the messenger, you know. Don't beat up Timothy just because he's delivering my letter to you." And oh, by the way, I'm saying all of this in love. It's not because I don't love you, you know. And but again, that's another part of the culture that we tend to embrace. This idea is to love someone is to endorse all of their behaviors wholeheartedly and ignore it. Yeah, like not if be someone, accountable for it. Yeah, if someone holds me accountable, if somebody criticizes me, if somebody critiques something I've done, they don't love me. That's our assumption, you know. Right. Or and not I mean, caring, or yeah, that, and that's my kids' assumption. <laughs> you know, I've had the, they tell me that all the time. Like, I mean, my <laughs> yes. one of my sons last night, it was like, uh, you know, I I I told him we were going to read a book, you know, but he had to. Get, he had to come over to the couch to read the book. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I wanted mom to read the book. And I was like, well, mom's doing dishes. I've got to read the book for you tonight. It's like, no, I want mom to read the book. And I was like, well, if you, if you don't bring the book over here, we can't read it and you're going to miss your book. Right. It's like, no, I don't want it. Okay. Okay, we're going to miss the book. You know, and then, then it's this whole thing. Like, I, you know, it's like, I don't love, you know, don't love him. Now you forced my and, hand. And my hand says, we cannot read the book. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you, <laughs> you've played the cards That's and now you got to live with the cards. And if yes. and, and I've told my kids before, like when I'm talking to them, I'm like, look, you don't like I cannot be a liar. You need me to be transparent and mm-hmm. honest with you. Yeah. Even if that means punishment, mm-hmm. like even if that means rebuke. Again, Paul earlier in the letter goes, do you want me to come to you like in, in love or do you want me to come to you with a rod? Right. You know, how do you want me to come to you? Because I have to speak truth. <laughs> exactly. Like... And so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it was such an encouragement for me. It was mm. such a challenge to walk through this book for me as, as we looked at this church. And hopefully people didn't feel like it was a downer. Studying this broken church is such a testament both to the fact that we are not perfect. Mm-hmm. Like there is no church that's perfect. There mm-hmm. is no church that doesn't struggle with these things. And yet it's also this incredible reminder that Christ poured himself out for churches such as these. Paul spent his life founding churches that would spit in his face. Like, I mean, that is what it means to follow Christ. You know, to respond not not in anger, but to respond with grace. Mm -hmm. And that has been such an encouragement to me in my own life as I consider this. Like, if Christ did it, I can do no less. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, and when you ended on Sunday, I just, there was goosebumps just 
because I'm thinking, what a blessing. I mean, we need to be living and acting like God is on his throne. And a lot of times we like to be on our throne. And we need to step down a notch or two. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But you said cherish Christ's broken church because he died for her. And I just, I mean, that was period, end, done. (laughs) That was it. That was it. And so thank you for going through First Corinthians. You've been given time to think about it. Any surprises along the way? You did mention you noticed something about Paul and his special affection for the Corinthian church. Yeah, well, that, that, would, that, that would be, would, yeah. might be it. That I'm would thinking. be something I didn't anticipate because yeah. I didn't know that that conclusion was like that. I yeah. didn't know this was the only book that he expresses that in his salutation. Yeah. I didn't know that that formula of grace from Christ to the church is in every one of his letters. Mm-hmm. Those are both things that I didn't realize until I had studied that section. I'm sure there's other things that probably mm-hmm. I've forgotten this yep. way that I learned. But when you were saying we that, I was too, like, so. I think that's that's the answer to that because I remember you said that Sunday and I thought, huh, I bet I subconsciously did notice that but never really put it together. Yeah. So, so we're going to wrap up here, but this Sunday we are having our 30th anniversary celebration. Yeah. So yeah. you're going to walk us through a little bit of Joshua. Yes, I'm looking and forward then, to that. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that morning celebrating God's faithfulness. Just mm. he's always been and yeah. he will continue. Yeah. And then May 7th, I believe, we start the book of Psalms. Yep, yeah, we will be going into Psalms. We'll be looking... We'll be walking through a few psalms. The order is going to catch people a little bit off yep. guard because I'm like, why are we doing this one and then this one? Yeah. These are not in chronological order. Yeah, you you kind of outlined it for me. We're not going psalms one through. Exactly, 150. But don't I worry, would, we're not going to take 150 weeks. I was weeks. just going to say like, that. I was starting to do the math really quick. <laughs> that. Has anyone ever gotten through a whole book of psalms? I, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody that like I've ever years. studied that has done it has done it in chunks. Yeah. Uh, we're going to kind of pick and choose. I'm so. excited where we're going. And so yeah. maybe on May 7th, we can dive into that a little bit more Absolutely. Sunday morning. And then... I guess we'll come back that week and we'll talk about it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, well, any last exhortations on 1 Corinthians? I think we've about covered it. I think you have covered it well. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Pastor Brad. Thanks for listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. This is a production of Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll be back next week with a new recap and a forward look to our Sunday sermon. Make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We leave you with this encouragement out of 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll see you next week as we sit down with Pastor Brad for another episode of Midweek in the Word Sunday Recaps.